You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Every Friday, we invite two parents into the studio to get their thoughts on the stories that we've been reading this week, to have a laugh, pick things apart as only parents can. Here's a taste of the things we talk about. Is this photo going to massively embarrass them when they're 21? You just have to think about how people are going to use it. Think about how it could be used and then sort of reverse engineer your behaviour back from that. If you could put all the extracurricular activities within the school and have them run until five o'clock, that would be perfect. That's a great solution. You need to talk to the government, Nia. Were you out yeah. late or did you get to nine o'clock at least? Mate, we were out till like 10.30. <gasps> Every time I hear that, I laugh because, yes, incredible, someone was out that late. Today, we're talking about children who drive across the country, bringing babies to work, better labelling on food products and dealing with feuding siblings. Joining me today, we have Sarah Hunstead, founding director of CPR Kids and former emergency paediatric nurse, and Jason Truen, who's the online editor here at Kindling. Both have two children. Hi, guys. How are you? Hello. Sarah, can I start with you? Because when I just briefly mentioned that, that you were an immediate, I can't even say it the second time, can I? A nurse in a paediatric emergency department. Got it. That's it. (laughs) But that was for a while, right? You were doing that for 14 years? about 15 years. Wow. My career. And so what led you to start CPR Kids? Well, working in the emergency department, we see too many times how sometimes parents haven't known what to do in emergency and conversely where parents have implemented the most awesome first aid and absolutely impacted on their child's outcome. And so from that, CPR Kids was born. So what we do is that we teach families and carers of children the life-saving skills of baby and child first aid and also recognition of the sick child. And I have to say that Sarah is a regular contributor to Kindling and Kindling Conversation and the one thing that we did, we did a chat. After we do our chats, I always walk out a bit shaky thinking of all the things that could go wrong. But having said that, once we talked about burns and your advice did help my daughter greatly once she burnt her hand like the following weekend. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> You've got um, two girls. Tell us a bit about them. I do. Uh, my oldest is about to turn nine and she is a safety officer just like me. She's the one who is the risk assessor of all situations and that, you know, the, the, the striving and achieving one. And then we've got the cyclone who has just turned seven and she's the one who is turning my hair grey and will absolutely change the world. Oh, brilliant. Now, Jason, of course, you have your finger on the pulse of parenting because you are our online editor, which means you get to see everything on Facebook. Um, I do know about your children, but nobody else listening probably does. Tell us about Sam and Francis. Yeah, so I've got two. Um, Sam is six, going on 16, I reckon, maybe even older than that, uh, the way he talks. He uh, is currently obsessed with Star Wars, which makes me very happy. We've just fallen in (laughs) love with it together. And then there's Francis. She's two, uh, going on 21 herself. And she's in that really cute but annoying independence phase that uh, toddlers go through where they want to do everything themselves, but they have no clue how to do it. So currently, breakfast, which is yogurt and muesli, takes about 30 minutes to put together. Half of it ends back up on the floor. But we're getting there. So, um, yeah. Lots I love of both fun. of them very much. Or, <laughs> I like that we have to say that at the end. They're annoying, but we love them. All right, let's get into the show. We're going to be talking about kids with initiative. There's not much time left today. Yeah. Not I want to ride it. 
So at the start of the week, perhaps you heard the story about the 12-year-old boy who was basically stopped as he drove on his own from New South Wales to Perth. That's where he was heading, but they stopped him one-third of the way. Now, of course, there's probably details to this story that aren't as humorous as that headline was, but we've all had times when our backs are turned and suddenly the kids have, I don't know, painted a Da Vinci and Sudocreme on the wall. They can surprise you with their, let's call them abilities, um, but sometimes in ways that are difficult to appreciate. Jace, I have to start with you because we hear so many great stories about Sam. He's very smart. He's very funny. He's got lots of energy. I kind of feel like you must have a stack of stories of stuff he's done that surprised you. Yeah, can I just say as well, imagine if kids could drive cars, like legally, how <laughs> how great life would be. Like then we could just sit in the back, have a sleep, just ask, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Were they... <laughs> Did them, you know, drop themselves at uh, daycare themselves. Mm. That would be pretty amazing. I guess normally they're just driving us up the wall. But, um, <laughs> There's a dad joke. Yes. <laughs> had to get a few in. Had to get in a few in. Um, yeah, I don't think um, Sam's got to the point where he's uh, nicking cars just yet. That we've noticed. Um, he is pretty inventive, <laughs> though. I guess um, a story of him being kind of a bit innovative is that Pokemon cards uh, were banned at his school, so him and his friends made their own, which is wow. pretty cool. They drew That's their impressive. own. Uh, they came up with their own brand, Monster Legends, um, and they, you know, they had their health, they had their um, their special attacks, etc. And that was quite. That was pretty cool. That's amazing. To see them do that themselves. Yeah. So Entrepreneur a, in the That's what I was going to say. And I have to ask Sarah because I've heard stories about your kids when we've talked about <laughs> things like, I don't know, playing with knives. <laughs> I thought you must have you must have something. Oh, I've, you know what? The hardest thing was thinking about what story to actually tell today because there's so many of them. <laughs> um, but I think, I think I'll go with the most recent where I walked. They'd been silent for quite a while and often they, when they they have a common objective that's when they get together and really kind of uh, get along and yeah get into trouble so I walked into the kitchen and they had decided that they were going to make fake blood vomit and diarrhea <laughs> wow yeah Daughters, what a degustation there. Daughters of nurses. That's that's the problem. So they had raided the cupboard and had pulled out anything that you can imagine that would mix together to make basically poo, vomit and blood. Oh, my Lord. And mixed it together all over the kitchen bench and filled up everything and were extremely proud of themselves. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, it's it's. I, I didn't even think about what my kids would do. I'd rather forget it. But those are great stories. Um, I'm Siobhan Hunt. I had to think about that. I'm Siobhan Hunt. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation where we invite two parents into the studio, parents who we have carefully selected for their knowledge, insight and ability to contribute to the national parenting conversation. Wow, that's you like that? a big wrap. Right. Uh, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, good, good, because that's why you're here. And today we're joined by Sarah Hunstead, who's the founding director of CPR Kids, and Jason Truen, who's Kindling's online editor. Up next, would you bring your baby to work? You're listening to Kindling Conversation. really have to go back and see the film clip for this because I thought it was meaning one thing and then I watched the film clip and it just shows a woman scrubbing the floor so it was completely fine. Um, I can't imagine taking either of my kids to work when they were babies but 
I read an article that made me think it might be possible. It was in the New York Times and Sarita James is a chief executive. It's probably key to this story. She took her baby to work for the first four months and basically the baby was in meetings with clients, with staff. Um, she only stopped once her baby started crawling around everywhere. And for her, it worked a treat. She did have little caveats there. She mentioned that her baby, this was her third, was a good sleeper. There were times when it was a little bit difficult when, you know, witching hour, stuff like that, where she'd go and walk around and jiggle the baby up and down. But I think the main point of her story was also that it's possible for work environments, environments to be more open to families. Mm-hmm. Here at Kindling, we work in an environment where families obviously are a part of the very fabric of what we do. But I've been in other places where a child walks through the office and it's like, (gasps) what are they doing here? Let alone a baby. I mean, Sarah, obviously emergency departments are not a place for children, but um, your work environment has changed. Could you imagine bringing your babies to work now? Absolutely. And what's interesting is, is that... I've done it when I worked in the emergency department, in the department as an employee and as an employer, I've had people bring their babies in now. Right. So my husband and I did the same job when I was in the emergency department. We were both nurse unit managers, so we had to work opposite shifts. So there was always about a 45-minute layover in between where our shifts would actually lap over. And when my first one, little girl, was born, um, Eva, when she was, uh, I think, about eight months old, I went back to work. And so to be able for us to work on the same day, if I couldn't get a babysitter for those 45 minutes, which basically that's ridiculous to be doing that anyway, she would come into the emergency department, strapped in her pram, and hopefully be asleep at the time. She'd get parked in the doctor's office in a little corner. We'd hand over the department, uh, do you know the round, just seeing everything that was going on, and then he, my husband Paul, would take her home. Wow! So that worked well for us. We tried not to do it because you don't want to bring a healthy kid into the ED anyway. Really, you know, don't know what they might come home with, but. From an employer point of view, um, where our bookings manager, Lisa, is the rock of CPR kids. We love having her. She's just so important. So as an employer, what I really wanted was to be able to facilitate a work environment when she had her second child to be able to come in and be as flexible as possible with her. So she worked at home. She needed that interaction, just like this woman states in the story as well. She missed that interaction when she was working at home. So Lisa would bring little Ruby in. We'd go nuts over her. We'd take it in turns of holding her. She'd be on her mum's lap while she's on the phone. And the clients loved it. They loved, you know, the fact that we've got mums and dads bringing us up. And when they're talking to us and we might have a child in the background or something like that, there's that common ground. There's that, oh, you get this. And so I I think it's fantastic having the babies around. And it wasn't disruptive because, Jason, we were having a little chat about this and we, we didn't feel the same way. Although I love the idea of it, I personally cannot see that I'd be able to concentrate. What were your thoughts, Jase? Yeah, I think it sounds perfect um, in theory. I just wondered a bit about how it could work practically. Like both of my um, kids as babies were uh, very bad sleepers and screamers as well. So it really <laughs> depends on the baby. There's so many yep. things, I guess, variables here that it could work, but it really depends on yeah the baby, how they sleep, um, the workplace as well, and whether it's uh, an open plan office or maybe this executive lady in the story, hopefully she had a nice corner office where yep. she could exactly. kind of take shelter. 
um, <laughs> if the baby erupted. Um, and it depends, I guess, on the nature of your job and how many meetings you have. You know, it could be a good distraction for colleagues, yeah. but also maybe a bad one if things go. It's an interesting point you say about the corner office because it's not just our culture that needs to change, is it? It's the actual structure of how we build our offices. Yeah, the physical environment. That's right. And I think, you know, particularly with us, why it worked well is that it was only when they were really little. There is no way on earth we could have functioned with a toddler or a crawling baby. So I think it's really limited to the age as well. And I'll just bring in here that we spoke to um, Camilla Goucher in um, Sydney who's setting up Wonder Hubs and there are things like this happening around the country with different entrepreneurs. There's another happening in Melbourne called The Nests where they're setting up spaces which allow parents to work in one area of the building and there's a creche in the other. So Wonder Hubs works like you hire out three and a half hours. It might be in a local library. You're working in one room, your kid's in the next. And I just thought... Yeah, that's actually kind of twisting it a bit again and saying we're going to work out a way that you could still be close to your child and still be able to concentrate on your work, which I thought, I wish I'd had that. It sounds amazing. Yes, it does. It does. It does. Employers listening out there. And we did have some comments from Facebook about this. Jacinta says... I was very fortunate that I was able to take my firstborn to work with me for the first four months. I had a very caring boss who was happy to accommodate the arrangement and I will be forever grateful. The second time around, I decided to work in childcare, which makes taking, which means taking the my child with me was a great deal easier. Um, and of course, that's the other thing employers don't realise is when you are open to it, it engenders such incredible loyalty, it does. doesn't it? It absolutely does. I must say the thing that did scare me a bit that was just thinking about the commute, like commuting oh. with a baby, <laughs> like on a peak hour train. It's hard enough to get a seat, let alone a space to stand up, let alone getting a, a pram in there. True. Or if baby self-detonates along the way, just the kind of chaos that could uh, ensue there. It is a bit of a break coming to it, let's be honest. Um, Rachel says, if there was any way that I could have taken my baby to work, I would have loved that option. Sarah says, not for me, too much of a distraction. I like to focus on my job, not my baby. And besides, I'm a nurse, so it would look pretty. I would look pretty funny working with a baby strapped on. Then there's the germ baby cross-contamination to think about, which is what <laughs> yeah, you mentioned. That would definitely too. be a problem. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's, I th- there's so many interesting things about that because it's society generally, it's all the things that feed into work that aren't very um, open to children and families, right? But we all have them. Why are they so separate? Not all of us, of course, sorry. But. I know, I think, you know, sometimes I think that what happens is that we really want that separation, as you said, away from the kids, have that time out. But there's also, if you switch that around and think when the babies are really, really young, some of us need to get back into work. We miss that so much. Some of us want to just avoid it for, you know, the first four or five months and that's it. But others, have, you know, to it just depends on the actual human themselves. For some, it's so important to get back in there. And why not facilitate that while the baby's little if that's possible and that's what you need? And it also would help to erase a lot of that mother guilt that women in particular have. I mean, Jace, I don't know. Did you have father guilt when you went back to work? Um, yeah, I think you do. Yeah. I mean, especially because um, in a way, as you leave that front door, things get easier when you're going to work and it's just you and you're leaving the kids at home with mum. So, yeah, you have that guilt that you're kind of ducking out on. It's a lot more stressful at home than just going to work and looking after yourself. And you can go to the toilet when you want. You can have lunch when you want. <laughs> or by yourself. Yeah, by yourself. That's oh, it. You, can lock, you don't have to leave the door open. Um, <laughs> I hope not, Jason. And it never changes, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> 
Don't say that. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Sarah Hunstead, Founding Director of CPR Kids, and Jason Truen, our online editor here at Kindling. Up next, should the government be more on top of our sugar intake? Ah, sugar. These days it can be really hard to know how much sugar is in the food that we buy. Once upon a time I thought muesli bars were okay. Not anymore. The consumer advocacy group Choice says that if consumers could identify added sugars in their groceries, they'd be able to avoid 26 teaspoons of sugar a day, which they say adds up to 38.3 kilograms a year. And you put it in that context, it's pretty extreme. So should the government be making producers label their products more clearly? And here's the thing. I think the answer is yes. But then I wonder if they did and I realized what had sugar in it, would my children eat anything because <laughs> they don't actually eat much now. Sarah, you're in the health industry. What do you think of this idea? Uh, so when I first read that we we're going to be talking about this today, I got so excited because this makes me so cranky. I get my cranky pants on <laughs> with this. I really do. I really do. It's one of those things where if my husband would be laughing right now, I'd be that fist banging on the table. Yes, we absolutely do. Because when you think about it, you're in the supermarket. You've got four kids with you. They're rat bags. They're running around everywhere. You just want to get the food to keep them quiet, to feed them and keep them alive and get out of there. Let's face it, you, just, you, you, you don't have time to pick up and read those in-depth labels. What you're looking at is that initial visual. And if something is, you know, the labels are marketed in a way that looks like it would be healthy for you, you're much more inclined in that situation to be grabbing that. And it's just, it makes me so cranky. We need to have a system on there that is, you know, not a star or something that you pay for, but something that is a quick visual that can show people who just need to grab that product, whatever it is, so they understand what they're actually buying. And do you think, I mean, they're saying that you could avoid 26 teaspoons of sugar a day. Do you think this would have real outcomes in terms of community health? Absolutely, it would. Absolutely. We know that the evidence is irrefutable that the amount of sugars that we consume directly impacts our health. If it impacts our health, it impacts society as a whole from a financial, from an you know, emotional, it's every single aspect you can imagine. And so being able to prevent these health problems will have an effect on the entire community. Jace, what do you think? I mean, would your kids eat the food if you bought it without sugar, do you think? Oh, that remains to be seen. But I guess the, the key is if it is clearly labelled, then at least we can make that decision as well. Um, I think, you know, obesity is such a huge problem in Australia. And, um, you know, we shouldn't be tricked into eating sugar that we don't want to. I, like at the moment, like going shopping just seems like this devious game where they're hiding sugars and other nasty things in food that we don't expect. And it's our job to uncover that. And when you take a step back, it seems like a really weird game to be playing with just the food that you want to eat. And annoying too, like as if you need to think about that when you're shopping. Exactly. I, I think I spend half my shop is getting the actual products and the other half just reading labels, comparing Absolutely. sugar in muesli bars or yes. yogurt. And it's really hard to do, as you said, with two kids 
uh, you know, in the trolley, trying to get out of the trolley, trying to steal all the chocolate. <laughs> that's um, it. That's it's it. really tricky. Yeah. I really think we need to be conscious sugar consumers. So rather than it being exactly what you said, that hidden, like my kids, you know, yes, we do have some sugar, but I'm aware when I'm giving it to them. And that's the difference. Whereas now I think everything I give them has got sugar in it, regardless of whether it does or it doesn't. I think it's easier to assume that it has added sugar than to think that it's healthy these days. Yep. Am I being cynical? No, thank you. That's mm. right. <laughs> You're listening to The Parent Panel. We'll be back after this short break with tips on how to stop fighting children. Hosting a kid's birthday party this weekend? Kindling Kids Radio has you sorted for the best party tunes and dancing music to get the party started. Tune in every Saturday from 10am on your digital radio or stream mixes on demand at kindling.com.au. Happy birthday! Kindling Conversation! This morning, this afternoon, this evening, let's be honest, most of the time that my children are conscious, they will be fighting at some point. I'm not saying that it's all the time, that it's consistent, but it happens on and off during the whole day. So how do you deal with it unless you have little angels and you don't need to worry about it? In the US, mum Alexis Tillman posted a video of how she deals with her kids when they fight. It went viral. Perhaps you've seen it. Basically, she puts them both in a T-shirt. She calls it the love T-shirt. Sometimes they dance. Sometimes they just have quiet time. She says it's to teach the kids that they have to rely on each other. And it struck a chord, whether you love it or hate it. It's had over 5.6 million views. Before I get to Sarah and Jace, I just wanted to read some of the comments we had on Facebook, which are pretty indicative of generally comments on this video. Rebecca says, this is awful. This mother has shamed and humiliated her children for all to see. Look at their faces. How can anyone feel good about this? Missy says, people argue and disagree all the time. There's ways to encourage communication and empathy without embarrassing your child, but that's my opinion, smiley face. Each to their own. When my boys argue, I encourage them to explain to the other why they are so upset, frustrated or angry. It helps the other to see it from another point of view, teaches empathy. It also validates that we all feel these feelings and it's okay and shows ways to manage those feelings respectfully. And then we have Danielle who says, LOL. I always threaten to handcuff ours together, telling them they would have to do everything together, including showering and the toilet. <laughs> Sarah, would this work for your kids? Uh, no. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Having two girls, and maybe it's because they are extremely close in age and the fact that they are female, putting them together in a T-shirt making them just have that proximity and slow dance together, that it wouldn't work. They actually need to verbalise everything. When they are fighting, they have verbal diarrhoea. It's often not nice towards each other, but it's amazing how they can absolutely be screaming at each other. They get it all out and then they go, okay, so do you want to play like flying unicorns or something like that now? 
<laughs> is it like they look around and go, well, we've got no one else to play yeah. with, uh, let's make up? Pretty much. They just get all of that out. They have to, it's like a talking or yelling competition that they've just got to get all of that out there. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, diffused. I let's quite go. like that idea. I wish I could do that. Oh, yeah, I do. My sister and I would never have fought like that. It was once my sister, I don't think she'll be listening, she once slammed the door. And do you remember that song that was I Hate Everything About You? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then she put that on after we had a fight, like slammed the door, put that on. I was like, right, I get I get the message. Wow. Uh, Jace, what do you think? Would it work with your kids? Uh, I don't know. Like, they're six and two at the moment, so they're, they're a lot younger. Um there might be like a two a two t shirt kind of you know family that we need to hold them together, <laughs> um, but they've been all right actually because I guess they've been in s- different spheres because of their age if that makes sense. So, but they are starting to collide a bit more now. Like I want the iPad or I want to put my hand on your car seat. No, I don't want it there. Just really silly inane um, conflicts like that. Um, but uh, Sam is starting to get into Star Wars a lot, so maybe we'll just have lightsaber battles or something and they could oh, solve it that way. That's a solution. Right. Great idea. I wish safe ones. Kids safe ones. I've got to think of that because my kids, the fights that they have, I just get lost in how to deal with it because they're so silly. Like, honestly, the hand on the, the – that happens with us, the hand on the chair. Or Darcy, my daughter, has learnt that horrible sing-song teasing voice. Oh, yes. And so she'll say – Where do they learn that? Oh, at school, I think – She'll go, Arlo's a butthead, Arlo's a butt. And so I'm thinking as an adult, Arlo, it's okay, you're not a butthead. But Arlo's like, Darcy, call me a butthead. I mean, how do you, how do you stop that? I mean, I, I, I do like the idea that you, that Missy says that you could talk to them about it, but we never seem to have the space to yep. do that while they're both screaming and crying and saying it was the other one's fault. So Yeah, the other day my uh, two kids were in the car and they were both fighting over whose... Uh, there was a song playing and they were both fighting over whose favourite song it was. Oh, yeah. Those hypotheticals. That, that It's like it can be both your favourite songs. It's our favourite song. We can share the song. It's okay, kids. Yep. Yeah, it's all right. that must be common because my kids will fight over what character they are in the book. Because apparently they both can't be the same character. Yep, as mine still do that as well. <laughs> Who's the favourite? Which puppy are you? But Isabel broke her arm uh, three weeks ago and there was a huge blow-up the next day where Eva was screaming at Isabel, you did this to get all of the attention, didn't you? <laughs> wow. And Isabel's just standing there going, actually, no, I didn't. No, I didn't break my arm to get the attention. It really hurts. How do you think I feel? Which I was really impressed with for a six-year-old. And, you know, and they actually listened. So, but, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I'm glad. I feel comforted. Misery loves uh, company. That's the saying, isn't it? Thank you for sharing that. I feel much better now about my children's inane arguments. Anytime, anytime. (laughs) Got plenty more. All right. Well, we have a few minutes and uh, I do, when I have a few minutes left, like to ask parents either the lullaby that they sing to their child now or perhaps what they were sung to as a child and if they're at all inclined to actually, you know, belt it out on the radio. Sarah, do you have one? Okay. So I haven't been blessed with the best of singing voices, just saying. Um, So you may want to turn your radios down right now, but that's okay. Um, For my oldest one, for some reason I used to sing her, you know that song, Down By The Station? Now you have to give us a few few lines. Down by the station early in the morning. Oh, yes. 
Yeah. So that that's a nice normal one, whatever. For some reason, that's what she liked to go to sleep with. But with Isabel, for some reason, we kept made up one. And it's the opening lines were, Isabel, funny smell. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, it just... It just was right. I don't know why it was right. Because she smelt funny? Yeah, occasionally. (laughs) Um, And it just stuck. And so even now, her nickname is um, sometimes it's, you know, it is a smell or, you know, it's... (laughs) And she's all right with it, but yeah. I was going to say, you've scarred her for life. I may have. With your ability, you're you're trying to get her to sleep in a lovely way. But it was the soothing tone. It didn't matter what the words were. That's right. It made you laugh. Jace. Um, so Sam's six now, he probably doesn't need lullabies, but Francis definitely does. Uh, often it's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme, <laughs> uh, but we all know how that goes, so I won't sing that. No, 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 which one? There's, there's a few, uh, right? In the 90s theme. Um, Come on, Jace. But the, otherwise, uh, again, I make up my own as well, which can become a bit of a trap, and her nickname's Bowie, and currently the one that I guess I'll sing is, goes something like this, it's... Booey, 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 you're the best, but now daddy has to get some rest. (laughs) And then it goes on from there, often till about 17 verses. And the only problem is then she'll go, oh, again, again, and I can't (laughs) can't remember remember the 18 verses that I've sung in total. (laughs) And then she gets mad at me because I get the words wrong to my own made-up songs. I can imagine. Jace, that's brilliant. We're going to have to get you in the studio to record it. Career's going to hopefully take off soon after this interview, so we'll see how we go. I'll buy your first album. Oh, thank you. That's Sarah one Jason, copy. That's that, one copy. That is the best lullaby that I've ever managed to get out of people. So thank you so much. Maybe we can collaborate. Oh yes, yeah, album. Smeller and uh, Bowie. 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 <laughs> Thanks so much for coming, in, guys. <laughs> pleasure. A pleasure. Thank you. That's Sarah Hunstead. She's the founding director of CPR Kids, and Jason Truen, who's the online editor here at Kindling. The parent panel will be back next Friday at midday. And that's all from us this week. I'll be back on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.